What's up, everybody? Happy Friday here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We've got a shorter show today. We're only on for an hour before Norwich Hockey. The cadets will take on Skidmore down in Saratoga tonight. Our coverage at 635. The puck drops at 7 here on your home for cadet hockey, WDEV. Craig Durham on the call. Yesterday was a tough show. It was an emotional show. I appreciate all of the great feedback that we got on that show. Danny and myself both got a lot of great feedback from all of you. There are a bunch more texts that came in kind of after the show yesterday on the text line. I want to thank Peter, who says, Ken Squire legitimized NASCAR. That is what I learned today. Thank you, Brady and WDEV. We're sending healing energies to you all. Texter tells a story about meeting. This is Adam, who said, I met Ken Squire at Thunder Road when I was 10 or so, but then I was uh, I tried to become a radio announcer myself, and I reached out to Ken, and he taught me some things, and long story short, he ended up getting uh, a broken jaw and couldn't end up, or hadn't, uh, yeah, had a broad jaw broken. He couldn't end up being the announcer like he wanted, but he appreciated Ken's guidance. Phil in Middlesex says, that was a great show last night about Ken. He was the most incredible human being I've known for about 25 years Yesterday was a tough day. That was Phil in Middlesex. Thank you very much, Phil. Appreciate you. And uh, Glenn in Middlebury is saying some nice things about Ken and some not-so-nice things about the Patriots. So we can get to uh, that as well. Um, we are back to business as usual today, but we know that it is anything but. But in Ken's honor, you know, I, I, I know he would have wanted us to do the show, and the station always came first. Our listeners came first, and that's what we're going to try to do. So um, we'll all continue to grieve. But we'll continue to do the show, as always. You can get in 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. That is the text line number. I am here. You are here. Danny is here. Phil Perry is going to be here talking Patriots, even in the bye week, at about 6.05. So, Danny, let go. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com, also Rouse's Point, New York. So um, the UVM men's basketball team has advanced to the championship of the Myrtle Beach Invitational. I got to tell you, I am ridiculously impressed by the Catamounts team right now. I mean, just where do you start? They beat College of Charleston yesterday, a team which they were they trailed by 15 in that game. They beat Charleston by nine. Charleston's a team that got a 12 seed in the NCAA tournament a year ago. They beat St. Louis today, who was unbeaten, and is a team from the Atlantic 10. So this is a UVM team that last year in non-conference started out one and seven and got its doors its doors blown off by everybody it played in the Bahamas and now is beating teams that went to the NCAA tournament and teams that are unbeaten and play in the Atlantic 10. This is a great start to the season. The Cats are now 4-0. They did almost everything right in this game. Like, I, I wrote down a list of 10 takeaways. Nine of them were completely positive. Not Nine of them were completely positive, and the one that wasn't isn't even that bad. They did everything right today, practically. They beat a team from the Atlantic 10 on a neutral floor by double figures. If you do that, you have my attention. And this team absolutely has my attention. UVM was up 15 at the half. They scored 47 points in the first half. They hit threes. They got rebounds. They got to the, you know, they got to the foul line a little bit. 
they had more assists to turnovers. Like, everywhere you go, this team played well today. Danny, I know you had a crazy day of production today, so you were kind of down and away from me in the studio setup. Did you get a chance to watch any of this game? I wish I did. I, did. I missed all of it. Did you get a chance to watch some of yesterday's? Yes, the second okay. half. Okay, yesterday's second half was very, very impressive. This whole game was impressive. I mean, like, I just one and seven last year in non-conference, four and zero oh right now. And again, yeah, the Plattsburgh game is a, is a throwaway D three game, but really, so still, you're three and zero oh as far as I'm concerned, but against some very good competition. And now here you are at a neutral site in a tournament here. You have a chance to win. You have a chance to win this tournament. They're going to play either Wichita State, who's a team that previously got a one seed in the NCAA tournament, you know, a decade ago, or they're going to play Liberty, another team that could get up and down the court. Like, this is such an encouraging start for this Catamounts team. And I'm amazed, Danny, at how quick it's come together, right? We talk about the turnover on rosters, and we talk about – um, the transfer portal and team chemistry and this, that, and guys learning their role. And here we are, we're four games in, and this team, just they're just gelling. Like, it doesn't matter what they do, they're just gelling, right? The ball movement is crisp. The defensive rotations are crisp. They look like they enjoy each other out on the floor. The communication is crisp. The leadership looks crisp. There's nobody stepping on each other's toes. Everybody's ra- The bench is rallying around the starters. Like, for, for a team that really – doesn't know each other that well because these guys mostly haven't been playing together. Like they are, they look like they've been playing together for four years. And I'm amazed at how quick it has come together for this team. Danny, I mentioned, I wrote down 10 takeaways here from this game and they're all brief, but I wrote down 10 takeaways. Let me just kind of rip through them real quick here. So double digit win against a team from the Atlantic 10. Hell yes, I wrote. It's that simple. Right? Like, you beat a team from the Atlantic 10. Anytime you do that, and that team was unbeaten, I'm going to be impressed. Ball movement was pretty throughout the day. Now, St. Louis did some things that were interesting, right? They played an aggressive man for a little while. They they got out and played a 1-3-1 zone, which for a little while was very, 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 very productive. They, they pressured the ball. They played a 2-3. It didn't really matter. Outside of about a four- or five-minute stretch, didn't matter. UVM had answers for everything. Skip, pass. Uh, you know, pass into the post. There were 11 of 24 from three. They got almost any shot they wanted all game long. 11 of 24 from three, right? They had four different players make multiple threes. So you start talking about depth scoring. You start talking about variety in scoring. You talk about diversity of scoring. You talk about the ability to shoot from deep, the ability to get to the basket. They did everything. And they had an answer for every defense. You want to play man? We can take you off the dribble. You want to play 1-3-1 zone? We'll start to get it to the high post. You'll collapse. We'll kick out. Wide open shot. You want to play the 2-3? Same thing. No matter what lever St. Louis tried to pull, a good St. Louis team, UVM had an answer. The ball movement was on point all day long. Catamount shot way better than 50% from the floor. I mean, Danny, they shot 56% from the floor for the game. They shot 46% from three. They put up 78 points. You do that, you're going to win a lot of games. And so far, UVM has won every game they've played, right? UVM has won every game they've played. They are 4-0 to start the season. Um, four next, double um, figures? They had four players in double figures, which was incredibly impressive. St. Louis made a second-half run, right? UVM was up. 
like 15 at one point, and then all of a sudden St. Louis hit a couple of threes, and now it's nine, and it was like you started to feel like, okay, maybe the 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 A-10 team is going to start to overwhelm them a little bit. Didn't happen. As soon as that happened, I think they got it to nine, and then I think Shamir Bogues took a ball to the bucket and was like, uh-uh, not on my watch. And that was my next takeaway, The Shamir Bogues is a stud, right? And I don't – I I – Fully admit, like, I love watching Catamount Hoops, and I think when the season comes, I think I'm as good as anybody locally, not to toot my own horn, I think I'm as good as anybody locally at telling you what's happening with Catamount basketball. I do not know who all of these players are when they're in the transfer portal, though, right? When they get here, I think I have a good handle. Before they're here, I'm not really sure. I look at the bio, I look at the stats, I think Shamir Bogues is largely just a defensive player. Well, here he is, he is a defensive player, great active hands, keeps guys in front of him, and oh, by the way, he can handle the point. He was 7 of 10 from the floor, right? He had 14 points, he had 3 assists, he had 3 steals on defense, he played 34 minutes, he's absolutely a team leader out there. So he's not a guy who's just a defense first player. I was thinking, play good defense, score two points a game. Now he's, we're talking double figures consistently. He's big, he's thick, he can get to the basket, he can shoot from three a little bit, didn't today, he was 0 for 2, but he, all in all, Shamir Bogues is a stud. Uh, next takeaway on my list. Good to see a couple guys get going that we haven't really seen get going yet. One is TJ Hurley. Hurley, had eight points today, coming off the bench, played 21 minutes, had, he was one for three from three, four of four from, uh, let's see, one of three from three, three of three from the line, was able to do a little bit of everything. If you give me eight points off the bench, I'm going to be happy with it, right? If TJ Hurley plays off the bench and scores eight points a game, I'm going to be impressed by that. Now I understand he's a, you know, a high recruit. We want to see him start. We want to see him score 18 like Anthony Lamb used to. That might not be his calling card this season. It might be next year when he's a junior, but as a sophomore, as a true sophomore, eight points in 21 minutes is good production. He had four rebounds. I don't think he looked tentative. I thought he looked a little tentative yesterday. I thought he looked a little tentative early today, but second half, he started to take charge. He was able to get to the basket. He was able to hit his three. He found a really great skip pass. I want to say he caught a skip pass to hit a three. I want to say from Barreto, maybe it was TJ Long. I'm not positive, but nonetheless, he stayed, he, he, was more comfortable shooting today, and uh, that was important. Aaron Deloney, our guy, he was he really struggled yesterday. He had eight points, but he didn't score until only a few minutes left in the game yesterday. Today, he was four of his first four from three, finished with 12 points. 12 points, three assists, couple of rebounds, ran the point, hit his shot when, he, when it was there, four of six from three. That's a good day from AD. I will be curious next time we talk to him, about his mindset playing point guard versus playing shooting guard. I've always thought of him as a as more of a shooting guard. I thought of him as more of a scorer. Now he is playing more point guard. He was certainly able to get his shot today, but it wasn't like he was able to be the beneficiary of somebody in, you know, standing on the wing, right? Last year, Dylan Penn gets the ball in his hands, breaks down a defender, everybody collapses, he kicks out to Deloney for three, and it's wide open. Now he's got the ball in his hands, somebody's always in front of him, I'll be curious kind of talking to him about that development in his career, handling the point a little bit more. Um, TJ Long is really interesting to me. Danny, you're Mr. NBA, so when I say this, you might be able to think of somebody off the top of your head in the way that I can't. TJ Long is a really good player, right? TJ Long today 
had 16 points. That's a team high for this team. He was 6 of 11 from the floor. He was 2 of 5 from 3. He's played well consistently for this team through their four games, right? Looking at the stats, in their four games, he had 10 against Merrimack. He had 20 against Plattsburgh. He had 15 against Charleston. He had 16 against St. Louis. He's been able to shoot the three. He's 13 of 27 from three right now. That's 48%. This team, I said, is the most athletic UVM team I can remember. TJ Long is respectfully one of the lesser pure athletes in this team's starting five or even in this team's rotation, right? He's not as good an athlete as Deloney. He's not as good an athlete as Iofalier. He's not as good an athlete as Bogues. He's not as good an athlete as Alamutu. But it doesn't matter. He finds a way to get things done, right? No matter what he wants to do, he finds a way to do it. Danny, he doesn't jump the highest on this team. He doesn't run the fastest on this team. He's not the smoothest athlete on this team, but he gets to his spot, and he does exactly what he wants to do. He wants to take a three. He takes a three. He wants to pump fake you and get off the dribble and go by you and go to the basket and finish with his left hand. He does that, too. I can't think of an NBA comparison of a guy who's just crafty. You know who he reminds me of? Actually, I've got it, Danny. This one will be one you appreciate, I think. Joe Ingles. Oh. Okay. The old jazz player who, you know, tore his ACL and ended up somewhere else. I couldn't even tell you where Joe Ingles is playing. He went now. to the Bucks. I don't know where he went after that. Okay. So Joe Ingles played for Utah. And Joe Ingles was very, very good, right? Utah was getting the top seed in the draft or top seed in the playoffs. They had Gobert and they had Mitchell and they got a lot of the headlines. Joe Ingles was a very good player, right? He was crafty. He could shoot the three, get to the basket, but he didn't run real fast. He didn't jump real high, but he could still score 18 a game at will. That's TJ Long. Hey, that's TJ Long. I don't quite know how he's doing it or how he does it, but he does it, and he does it effectively, and he did it great again today. 16 points. Team high. Good to see uh, Brenton Mills get into the game a little more. This is a guy who's a, a fifth-year player who's been at Binghamton, who's been at Bowling Green. He's played at higher levels now than UVM. We didn't see him much early in the season. He played more than 20 minutes today, 21 minutes, had six points, hit two threes in the second half. Good contribution. I want to see more from him. Right? I want to see more from him. And then finally, our guy Sam Alamutu continues to be the energizer bunny for this team. He only played 13 minutes today. He had four rebounds in those 13 minutes. That's a good productivity. The only negative I have on the whole day is he's got to look to shoot. Like, he doesn't need to score 10 a game, but he can't be a guy who catches it and immediately passes it away. He's playing hot potato with the basketball. It's like he knows he's out there to be a defensive guy and a rebounding guy and an energy guy. So he's like, okay, I'm touching the ball. Let me get it to a score. Okay, I'm touching the ball. Let me get it to a playmaker. At some point, you've got to be at least a threat to do something offensively. Right now, Sam Alamutu is not a threat. That's the only negative I have on today's game. That Every time Sam Alamutu touched the ball, he immediately got rid of it. He had two points. He only took one shot. In 13 minutes, he took one shot. I don't need him to take 10 shots in 13 minutes, but there's, they're daring him to shoot, and he's not doing it. He's got to, he's got to find a, uh, a way to do that. It's the Brady Farkas Show on DEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Our guy Kev says, um, Joe Ingles is a good one. That's a good comparison. Uh, I thought maybe he's like Sam Hauser. You want to guess How- who he plays for? Joe Ingles? Yeah. Feels like somebody who plays for the Magic. Wow. Am I right? You are. 
It's, he just feels like a guy who plays for And the you Magic. didn't cheat? I did not cheat. Um, Texer says he reminds me of Sam Hauser. I, I don't think so. Not one, Long and, and Ingles are a better comparison because they're both left-handed. They both have that similar body type. Luke Kennard? Luke Kennard is a, see, I think Luke Kennard is more of a shooter. Lefty like, though. He's a lefty. But again, the body type is Joe Ingles. TJ Long and Joe Ingles have the same, they are the same player. Like I'm convinced Joe Ingles is just 10 years older than, uh, 15 years older than TJ Long, but they're the same player. Um, I don't see Sam Hauser out of TJ Long. I don't see Sam Hauser going to the basket very often, Danny. Some cuts, but yeah, not too much. Yeah. So, uh, he's certainly not doing a lot of things off the dribble, which is what Long is doing. Uh, a great win, uh, to start the season. Another texture says Mike in Waterbury Center says, um, on Ken. I didn't know Ken personally, but I feel like I did. I've been listening to DEV my whole life. I love listening to his shows. I like all of your shows. You do a great job. But I loved when Ken was on the air. He was so funny. He will truly be missed. Well said. UVM will play Sunday night at 5.30. That is the championship game of the uh, Myrtle Beach Invitational. And uh, what a start to the season it's been. It's either going to be Wichita State or Liberty. Our six-pack of NFL questions is next. We'll get you ready for week 11 in the NFL slate. That's next on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Phil Perry, our Pats insider at NBC Sports Boston, will join us even through the bye week. He'll be with us about 6.05, 6.10 or so, somewhere in there. I know Phil was working on something, so we'll get to him momentarily. Right now, though, Danny, I want to get to our six-pack of NFL questions. Get ready for week 11. Hard to believe we're almost uh, two-thirds of the way through the season here. So, Danny, fire up the music. And give me the big voice, guy. The best game of the NFL weekend is... The best game of the NFL weekend, sadly, is on Monday. I don't want it to be Monday Night Football, but it is Monday Night Football. It's the Eagles at the Chiefs. Okay, This is going to be the best game of the week. It's also going to be by far the most annoying game of the week. I almost wanted to put it in the bar rescue game of the week because I don't, I, I didn't want to watch it. I'm going to have to watch it, but we have 8-1 Philly at 7-2 Kansas City. You have two of the best teams in the NFL. You have two Super Bowl favorites going against each other. You have a Super Bowl rematch from last year in which the Chiefs won that one. You have a hungry Eagles team on the road. You have a Chiefs team that is looking to once again assert itself at the top of the AFC and is the class of the NFL. So you have two of the best teams getting together. That makes Makes this game, you know, incredibly interesting, incredibly exciting. You have Jalen Hurts against Mahomes, two top-tier quarterbacks going against each other. And again, Super Bowl rematch. That's always going to be a storyline, and they're both good again this year. It is going to be the best game of the weekend, but I can tell you what, I might have to watch the game on mute. I tell you what, I cannot hear about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I cannot hear about Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey's Christmas album. I cannot see Donna Kelsey, their mother, wearing the jersey where it's split in half, where half is green and half is red, and it's got the numbers sewn together. I don't care about that. I think Taylor Swift's parents are going to the game, too, so it's going to be the Kelseys and the Swifts together in the same box. I can't take it. I am going to watch this game. I'm going to have to watch it on mute, and I'm going to have to find something. I, I will. I don't do Christmas before Thanksgiving. That is a that is a Brady Farkas rule. I do not do Christmas before Thanksgiving. I will listen to Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You, on repeat for three hours before I watch this game with sound actually on. It will be the best game of the weekend, but I have no interest in hearing the commentary around it because Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, the Swifties, the families getting together, don't care. Show me football. I will watch. I will not listen. Danny? The game that intrigues us most is... 
Sunday night football. A rarity, two good primetime games here. Vikings at Broncos. I'm all in on the Josh Dobbs story. Okay, the Vikings have won five straight. The Vikings have gone from, like, should they trade Kirk Cousins and tank the season to six and four, playoff likely, with the best story in the NFL. Astro, what, astrophysicist or something? I think he's got an astrophysics degree, Josh Dobbs. And here he goes. He's won a couple of games now. The Vikings are six and four. And oh, by the way, Denver's won three straight. And they're now four and five. And they just won a big game at Buffalo last week. Is Russell Wilson back? Is Sean Payton fixed Russell Wilson? They didn't trade Jerry Judy. What the hell are they doing? Oh, now they have a chance to go to the playoffs as well. Look, Joe Burrow's out for the year and that stinks. There's room there for, for Denver to assert themselves. Do we really trust Houston? Buffalo's got a really hard schedule. Denver's beaten them. Could Denver be a potential playoff dark horse? Could they sneak in? This is a 6-4 and four Vikings team against a 4-5 and five Denver team that is fighting now for a reinvigorated chance at the playoffs. Like, that's hard to believe that we're saying that, but Denver's at home in prime time against the Josh Dobbs-led Vikings. And, oh, by the way, Danny, I think there's a chance that Justin Jefferson plays in this game again for Minnesota. So, you know what they call Josh Dobbs? What do they call him? The Pastronaut. Oh, that's right. Yes, you're right. I did hear that. There was another one, too, they were going with, but I like the pastor not, so that's pretty good. Um, although it made me think he was a religious figure at first. So I, I get it now, but, like, it takes me a minute to – it took me a minute to process. Um, Vikings are hot. Denver is hot. And both these teams have playoff aspirations. That game right there, imminently intriguing. Next. The bar rescue game of the week is... Part of me wants to say Eagles Chiefs. It's already used it. I won't. There are a couple of dog games, Danny, but there are no, there is no more dog of a game this week than Giants at Commanders. The two and eight Giants, the four and six Commanders. Hey, look, I'm going to have to watch Tommy DeVito play quarterback next week because they're playing the Patriots. I don't need to watch Tommy DeVito play quarterback this week. I'm good. Thank you. I've seen enough of the Giants. I've seen enough of Tommy DeVito. I can't even tell you right now who's playing wide receiver for the Giants. They're wholly uninteresting. They're not very good. No, they shouldn't fire Brian Dable. And I don't need to think about the Giants again until they play the Patriots. I mean... I saw the Commanders play each of the last two weeks. I've seen enough of them also, right? Like, they played the Patriots two weeks ago and won. I saw them play Seattle last week, and they lost. I think Sam Howell has a lot of good stuff to him. I could sit and watch Sam Howell play. I've watched him play the last two weeks in a row every snap. I don't need to watch him play this one, right? Like, the Giants are so bad, I don't want to watch. I'm going to be forced to watch them against the Patriots. Giants might be going. The Patriots and Giants might be battling it out for the number one pick in the draft. It's a race to the bottom when it comes to this league, and the Giants are a part of that. I'm good. Thank you. Next. The player we want to watch most this week is? Well, I can't use Josh Dobbs again because I've used Josh Dobbs already, but uh, the player I want to watch most this week, I want to see Dorian Thompson Robinson. This is the guy who's going to start at quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, right? Deshaun Watson is out for the year. Cleveland is 6-3. and three. They're at home. They're taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. If the, if the Browns can win this game, they're going to be in second place in the AFC North. We think they have a chance to, you know, to, to 
be they're already past Cincinnati, but we think they have a chance to really get past Cincinnati because Burrow's out for the season. The Browns could really assert themselves fully, not only in the division, but in the AFC playoff picture. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the rookie out of UCLA, looked pretty good in preseason, didn't look as good earlier in the year when he played. I thought maybe the Browns would go with P.J. Walker as their starter. I saw him play against Seattle. I thought he looked pretty good in that. 6-3 and three, Pittsburgh with that defense. 6-3 and three, Cleveland with their defense. They're going to need some quarterback play. Sunday at 1, the game and the dog pounded. Two rivals going at it. Two longtime AFC North rivals, previously the AFC Central. Dorian Thompson-Robinson. What you got for me? Brown's got intriguing pieces all over that defense. Amari Cooper, good on offense. Kareem Hunt, pretty good on offense. Pretty good offensive line. It's a pretty good situation to come into if you're a quarterback. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, what do you do with it? That's the question. Next. The player with the most pressure this week is... I don't know if he's going to play. Danny, see if you can find real quick an updated injury report on this. If he plays... It's Justin Fields, right? The Bears are taking on the Lions. The Bears are horrible. They're three and seven. The Lions are seven and two. The Lions are at home. Every time Justin Fields takes the field now, he's fighting for his player. He's fighting for his life with the Bears, right? He's in the same mix here as Mac Jones, right? I mean, he hasn't looked as bad as Mac per se, but he's in the same situation. Are they going to pick up my fifth-year option? Are they going to give me a long-term deal? Am I worth $40 million a year? Or am I going to get traded the offseason? Are they going to cut me? What am I worth? Are they draft? The Bears have all kinds of draft capital coming to them here, right, in the, uh, in the, in this upcoming draft. They very well might end up with the number one pick of the draft. The Carolina finishes with the worst record. So the Bears will have all, they can do whatever they want in the draft. They don't need to sit and wait for Justin Fields. If he wants to prove that he is the guy, then he better start proving that he is the guy. I just don't know if he's going to play this week coming yes, back from playing. injury. Okay, so he's listed officially as the starter? He is set to come back. That's what it okay. says. There you go. So he was listed as questionable yesterday. Now they're going to give him the start. Therefore, the pressure is mostly on him, right? The pressure is mostly on him. Uh, again, Zach Wilson had lost his job. Mac Jones fighting for his career. Justin Fields fighting for his career in Chicago. He's not in as big a danger as Mac but he's fighting for it. Danny, go ahead. The most amazing NFL stat of the weekend is... There's a there's a couple of very, very good ones here. Um, just because I feel like picking on the Giants. Saquon Barkley has gone five straight games without a rushing touchdown. A sixth game would tie the second longest drought of his career. It just... Like, the Giants have nothing. Like, they don't have a quarterback... And now they don't have Saquon Barkley doing Saquon Barkley things. You're not going to win games like that. That's why you're two and eight. So I can only make fun of the Giants because they're the only team that makes me feel better about the Patriots. That's it, right? Every other team in the NFL has something to be excited about more than the Patriots, except for the Giants. So yes, I'm taking my chance to take a shot at them. They are two and eight. They're going to be two and nine. They're going to lose to Washington. Saquon. Five straight games without a touchdown. If they were going to do anything this year, they needed him to be great. And he is great. The offensive line is not. He doesn't get many chances. That's our six-pack of NFL questions. Phil Perry talking pats with us next, even in the bye week, on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, Norwich Hockey coming up about 30 minutes from now, 6.35 pregame show. Craig Durham is standing by in Saratoga for the 
Norwich and Skidmore game. A Skidmore team that's given Norwich a lot of trouble over the last couple of years. Craig told us in the afternoon news service Norwich has only beaten them outright one time in the last four. So the Thoroughbreds certainly do bring an interesting style to the table tonight, although the Cadets are coming off a two-game win streak and a two-win weekend last weekend. Texters want to know about Joe Burrow's injury. He's got a torn ligament in his thumb. He is out for the year. Our guy Peter is a Bengals fan. He is disappointed to see Burrow out and says, I bet A.J. McCarron, who I didn't even know was still in the league, would play for the Bengals and Raiders for a while, thinks he'll be the starting quarterback there. Wonders if the Bengals will trade for Mack in the offseason if they can't get Justin Fields. They have Joe Burrow. They don't need Mack or Justin Fields because these guys are on you know, one-year deals at this point. I'd rather have a backup than I can have kind of for, you know, the foreseeable future. So uh, I don't know. I don't see them trading for Justin Fields. Mac, I do see potentially getting traded, but I don't see him getting traded to Cincinnati. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Tech says also, the Eagles and Chiefs will be great entertainment. The Kelsey and Swift insanity is awesome. It's like the Grammys meet the ESPYs. I I don't have a problem with them dating. I don't have a problem with them liking each other, and I don't have a problem with them having a relationship. I have a problem with it being the focal point of the broadcast. I get why they would do it. I get that they want bigger ratings, and they want a new audience, and they want to keep their new audience. I get it. I understand it. I just, I am not interested in it, right? Like, I am there for the football. I'm happy that they're happy, and Oh, look, I liked the video, too, the other day of Travis Kelsey in Argentina at her show when her running off the stage and giving him a kiss. I thought that was great, right? If you're if you're a romantic sap, that was great. But I, I don't need it to be every minute of the broadcast. Uh, right now, I want to talk a little Patriots football. The Patriots are on the bye week, thankfully, thankfully, thankfully. So we don't have to watch the Patriots lose this weekend. They are 2-8. and eight. They'll take on the Giants coming up in Week 12. But just because the Pats aren't playing doesn't mean – I don't want to check in on them. Let's go out to the phone line and bring on our guy, Phil Perry, Pat's insider at NBC Sports Boston, who is with us every single Friday. Sometimes the time floats a little bit. Today here he comes up at about 6.10. Danny tells me we do have Phil now. So, yes, Phil, I'm happy it's the bye week. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. How are you? I'm doing well, Brady. It's uh, Yeah, I think it's a good time for everybody to have a little bit of a break from this team right now. Yeah. Fans included. Yeah, the fans included. I think some of the players need a break as well. You know, let me start here. Earlier in the week, I heard Colin Cowherd say this, and I kind of rolled my eyes at it. But but later in the week, I've started to think that maybe he's right. And I'm curious your perspective. Do you think that the COVID college football year played tricks with kind of draft evaluations? We've seen Mac not look great, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. You know, you think about this that college football season, maybe the opponents they're playing aren't practicing as much, they're not working out as much, guys are in and out of the lineups because of COVID. Did guys look better in the COVID year maybe than they really are? Is that a thing you think? Wow, that's a, an interesting point that I hadn't really thought of, um, and especially since it really was Mac Jones's one full season as a starter, right? Um, to to experience it in that way. And I don't even think so much of the practice restrictions, although maybe that's part of it. I just think of the atmospheres in the stadium. And I know in the SEC they, they weren't uh, quite as limited as they were other parts of the country. But, you know, I wonder if that is a factor too. Well, we're, we're getting an idea of what this – kid can be in adverse situations in real time but you know if everything's dialed back a few notches because there's not as many people in the crowd uh that would be that would be an interesting thing to to try to figure out 
I think that's looking a little bit too deeply into it, Brady. I think with Mac Jones, it's just the combination of a guy who's pretty limited physically, who's in a horrible situation. You know, I think if you were uh, putting Mac Jones in the situation, for instance, that Jimmy Garoppolo was in a few years ago when he got all the way to the Super Bowl, I think Mac Jones would, would be able to do what Jimmy did that year and then some, and, and maybe even win it with the guy. But that's arguably the best situation in the game. You know, when you have the situation that they have now, which is well below average, and it's at the bottom of the league in a lot of different offensive categories when you're talking about pass protection or you're just looking at the talent of the receivers, the speed of the receivers, the ability to separate, you know, you you can't ask somebody who has Mac Jones' skill set to function in that kind of system and have any kind of success. You know, you need a – in this offense, right now, the way it's set up, Brady, you need a Lamar Jackson type. And unfortunately for them, there's only one of those guys – on the planet uh and even if you get something slightly below that you know i'm not sure it's, it's enough to really win at a, a championship level so i really think that's uh, that's the issue here is um is the talent of the individual player and the talent he's surrounded by and, and i think maybe there's a little bit of the evaluation that that was missed with just how he would handle adverse situations but he was he was relatively inexperienced and it's hard when you're pulling a guy from alabama and he's worked with a bunch of all americans there ain't going to be that many adverse situations. So you don't really know how the guy's going to handle a bad spot. Phil, the situation is bad, as you allude to. I completely agree with you there. Um, the thing I want to know, like I can get why Mac is kind of confidence-wise shot. I can get why mentally he's feeling small right now. The thing that surprises me, though, is the footwork. Because I thought like Mac was supposed to be so detail-oriented and so process-driven. I'm surprised that th- that those mechanics have regressed like they have. I get all the other stuff, but I'm still surprised that the fundamentals have gone. What have you noticed? when you watch him throw and when you watch that interception late in that Colts game, you know, his feet are parallel to the goal line. I mean, it's just never where you want to be. And, you know, I spoke to someone in the organization where we're talking about this very topic, you know, that that was apparent to them, even on the game winning throw to Mike Kosicki against Buffalo. If you watch it, he's sort of falling away from pressure. That's not really there. And it's, of course, it's a much more accurate throw. And they win the game, and so that's all good. And it doesn't get as closely dissected. But it's kind of the same footwork yeah. as it was when he threw the pick. <laughs> He's targeting Mike Kosicki, and he should have thrown it to the back. You know, he could have probably lost it that thing in the back of the end zone the same way he did against Buffalo and had a touchdown. He basically threw it, God, like a good 8 to 10 yards short, it felt like, based on all the space Kosicki had on that play. So that's a that's a factor, no question about it. And the reason why it's surprising to me is not only is he supposed to be a quarterback who's who's on his details in that regard, but the Patriots, as a staff for a long time, they've really taken pride in the fact that they are coaching fundamentals all through the year. And, and it feels like even that has waned for us to see the Mac Jones that we're seeing now. Phil, I was in the building at Gillette two years ago, right, December of 2021, or maybe it was actually for- – First of January, 2022, and I saw the Patriots beat the Jaguars like 51 to three, I think was the final. And then the next year, the Jaguars got to the playoffs and I saw the Texans last year be horrible. And now this year be over 500 and in the running for the playoffs. I think we look at the Patriots and we say it's so bad. It's going to be years to get out of this, but I've seen really bad situations get pretty good very, very quickly. Should I have any reason to believe that can happen for New England? Uh, it can't happen. 
you know, what's the likelihood of it happening? That's a different question, but I love the, the Houston blueprint where you get a new head coach, young guy, a defensive-minded guy, not an offensive guru, uh, but it's someone who's bringing a different energy to the team, to the locker room, somebody who gets instant respect because he's a former player and because he knows how to handle the modern-day athlete, and you get the right quarterback, right? That's really the key piece. They hit on C.J. Stroud in a way that I don't think anybody thought they would, even if you were a huge C.J. Stroud fan. I mean, the guy's in the MVP running right now, Brady. I mean, he's been that good. And so if you find that somehow in the 2024 draft, if you're the Patriots, then you've got a shot. You've got a shot. And it may look bad now, uh, and it is. But if you get that guy, and Pop Douglas is somebody who can eat up a ton of targets, and if you have somebody like Trent Brown coming back in free agency, it's a little scary that, you know, he's, he, he, you know, your season might be riding on him and, and what he brings to the table as a left tackle, but he might be the best left tackle on the market, and, and you don't have any tackles under contract for next year. Neither Michael Wendon nor Trent Brown is under contract. But, listen, there, there, are, there are ways to build a competent situation with the right quarterback. And lucky for them, it's a relatively deep quarterback class, and if they could somehow, now this would be the boon of all boons for them, if you could somehow land one of the top two quarterbacks in this class, I think that's your lottery ticket. And that's, that's the way that you get something approaching what they have in Houston. Might not be that good that early, but the two guys at the top of the draft this year and Dre May and Caleb Williams seem like uh, they're going to be franchise quarterbacks, if not year one, pretty soon thereafter. And, and as long as you get that guy, uh, he can he can cover up a lot of the warts on your roster. Phil Perry, Pat's Insider, NBC Sports Boston, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Phil, uh, to to that point, I look at where the draft situates right now. The Patriots would be picking fourth, but you know Carolina's awful. Their pick's going to go to Chicago. They have no incentive to lose, so they're going to try to win. They may luck into a few. Arizona's playing Kyler Murray now. I have to assume they're going to grab a couple of victories. It seems like fairly likely that the Patriots and Giants game will come down to a potential battle for those one and two picks. Do you see that playing out that way also? It could. It could. And it's, it's interesting, you know, to think of it in those terms. You know, is this a must-lose game? <laughs> you know, how many how many weeks do we talk about must-wins? And, boy, if they want to salvage the season, they got to win this week. Well, if you want a shot at one of those top two picks, you, you might have to lose this one. And um, I, I wouldn't be stunned if there were people in both organizations that, that feel that way. You know, gosh, it you know, be nice to – to get this thing steered in the right direction and build some positive momentum and all that. But if we lose, it's also not the worst thing in the world yeah. because we might end up with Caleb Williams or Drake May. So um, I really think the Patriots are going to be in the mix. And if they're not, you know, lucky for them, it's, it's a relatively deep class after those top two guys. Um, and so maybe they could get, you know, uh, a Michael Penix or a Bo Nix and feel good about one of those guys, or maybe even if they're at that number three pick, you take Marvin Harrison, who's a, supposed to be, no doubt, franchise cornerstone wide receiver in Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, I've spoken to evaluators that, that think he might be, as soon as he gets to the league grade, a top 12 or so wide receiver. And so if he's that good, then maybe you take that guy in the third round and you hope you can get some sort of Jalen Hurts situation on your hands where you take a quarterback in the second. 
and uh, he ends up being a winning player for you. Phil, we talked about this the other day, and I'm going to bring you the data that I did, and I'm sure you've got better data somewhere in the annals of your brain here. So I'm in favor of taking the quarterback and then getting the wide receiver later. And other people I spoke to on the text line here on our show were in favor of taking Harrison as high as possible and then getting the quarterback later. I went through the last five drafts, Phil, there are five quarterbacks taken second round or later that I would deem useful, and that includes useful like Gardner Minshew useful. There are 19 wide receivers after the sec- second round or later that are deemed useful. So I am all for getting the quarterback and passing on Marvin Harrison, even if I have a chance. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think it depends on how you grade these players, and that's not meant to be a cop-out. But if you view, for instance, Michael Penix, out of Washington as the third best quarterback in this class. But you're a little wary of his knees. You know, he's got two torn ACLs in his in his history and he's a little bit of an older prospect, which to me isn't a huge deal, but it maybe it limits his ceiling somewhat if you're in the personnel office. You know, do you want to pick that player at number three overall if that's where you are? Or would you rather Take the wide receiver who can elevate a quarterback if you get a little bit lesser quarterback and and help that situation that we've been talking about with Mac Jones and how poor it is. Well, all of a sudden, the situation gets a lot better if you have a true number one and you have that guy who's impacting coverage. And and now if you have a young quarterback in the mix, even if he's not Michael Penix, who you might deem as the third-best quarterback, you're willing to pass on that to take the really good receiver and then hope you can approach whatever Penix ends up being uh, with a quarterback that you take in the second round. I personally, just because Harrison seems to be that good, I would go with him, and then I would try to figure out the quarterback thing a little bit later. But your point's a fair one. You know, there's receivers now that are flooding the league, and they're hitting in all sorts of different ranges when it comes to draft weekend. I mean, you don't have to look all that far back, and it's painful for Patriots fans to reflect on 2019. But where – you know, you draft Nikhil Harry and guys like Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown go a few picks later in the second round. So you can you can find a, a great receiver uh, in the second and third round. That's been proven, but you just you would feel better about it probably if you end up with Marvin Harris. Then you then you know what you have there, and you're hoping it works out with the quarterback. Phil, get you out of here on this. We are not going to speak next week. We're going to give you the week off because we're going to be off for uh, the holiday here on Black Friday. We'll have Norwich Hockey on that day in our time slot. So we won't speak for two weeks. So what's the uh, Thanksgiving regimen look like at the Perry household? Oh, boy, Brady. It's, uh, we're we're going to be heading to the in-laws. It's going to be a lot of fun to get some family in town. Uh, and uh, I will be doing a whole lot of daddy daycare. Well, <laughs> my wife, who is just on top of everything uh, when it comes to Thanksgiving logistics, we'll be very busy um, making pecan pie and stuffing. She, those are her two go-tos, you know, secret recipe, knock it out of the park dishes every year. And so we'll, we'll head over to the in-laws with those and I won't take any credit. Everybody knows not to credit me with any of that. I will be, uh, I will be taking care of the three, youngest Perry's and um, just hoping that we all don't drive ourselves insane before uh, before it's time for dinner. <laughs> Phil, much appreciated your contributions to this show all season. We'll look forward to catching up with you again in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, and we'll catch up then. Brady, happy Thanksgiving, bud. Happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners. Appreciate you. We'll talk soon.
Yeah, we'll talk in two weeks there. As Phil says, a must-lose game for the Patriots against the Giants in Week 12. A um, couple things. I Phil says he is on board with taking the wide receiver first if you don't have access to the top two picks, right? Like, if you don't have a top two pick, he's in favor of taking Marvin Harrison Jr. I still... I want I want one of those two quarterbacks. If you end up with three, four, five, and you can get Marvin Harrison Jr., then I too would do that. But I'm really hoping that the Patriots at this point land in the top two so they can go get Caleb Williams or Drake May. It is easier to get a franchise quarterback in the first round. I don't want to pick one and, and reach for one just to take one at four, like the Jets did with Sam Darnold. I don't want to not take one and have to wait till the second round and hope I can get lucky like Jalen Hurts. Look, I don't want the Patriots to tank. I just think they're naturally going to end up in these spots. One or two, Williams or May, and then figure out wide receiver and the weapons later. Uh, we will see what happens. Phil also said, I think, it was comforting to hear him say, the situation for the Patriots can turn around quickly. I, I don't know how likely it is, to, was what Phil said, but it can happen. I think that's important for us to note. And it's important for us as fans also that we should demand the Patriots turn this around as quickly as possible, right? When a baseball team says they're going to rebuild, we know it's going to be a painstaking effort, right? When, when a team guts its roster down to the studs, we know it's going to be at least three years. It could be five. It could be seven, right? The Orioles were awful for a while. The Astros were awful for a while. The Padres didn't have a winning season for nine years in a row, I believe. Okay, when a baseball team says they're going to rebuild, it's going to take a while. A football team can be rebuilt on the fly and can go from worst to first. It happens every year. And we should expect that the Patriots do everything they can to get back to relevance right away. Does it mean they're going to go from this to the Super Bowl? No. But that Jacksonville team that I saw two years ago got beat 51-3, to made the playoffs the next year, and now they just got killed by San Francisco last week, but they had the longest the longest um, winning streak in the league going into last week. It can be done, right? We see the Bengals. They were drafting number one in the draft. They draft Burrow. Now he gets hurt his rookie year. Second year, Super Bowl. Super Bowl appearance. It can happen. It can happen quickly, right? You can go from worst to being in the Super Bowl in two years. you got to get the quarterback right. You've got to get the quarterback right. Houston is a good blueprint. Right? Young coach, energetic, good quarterback. He elevates the guys around him. Situation looks better. Are they going to win the Super Bowl? No. But are they, do they have a chance to get to the playoffs? Yeah, maybe. Right? We saw Cleveland, not this iteration of Cleveland, but the Browns went 1-31 in two years. Baker Mayfield gets them to the playoffs in year three, I believe. Year three, I believe. Maybe it was year two. But nonetheless, 1-31 in, in two years. And then they end up with with Baker, and they get to the playoffs. So it can be done. We should hold the Patriots' feet to the fire on that. He did say also, I think a quarterback is your lottery ticket. Yes, that's true, of course, but I caution you also to think, like if you're the Patriots, oh, we got the quarterback, we're just good. No, if you get the quarterback, that's important. You still got to develop around them. Because if you do this again, where you draft a young quarterback, you've got to do it right this time. You didn't do it right for Mac. You've got to invest in free agency. You've got to invest in the draft. You've got to take care of him. You've got to protect him. You've got to elevate him. So getting the guy is the lottery ticket. you still got to cash that ticket in. 
because otherwise you're going to end up exactly like Mac, and it's not going to be enough. So that was Phil Perry, our Pats insider over at NBC Sports Boston. That interview will be available shortly on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Danny, Phil was talking about Thanksgiving. Are you a big Thanksgiving guy? Yeah, I think I am. Like, where does Thanksgiving rank on the holiday list for you? Uh, probably right behind Christmas, I guess. Really? That high? Why? Is it out of your top five? Well, I mean, I don't know about out of my top five because, you know, how many holidays are there, but... Um, Brady's top five holidays. Christmas is one. Memorial Day is two for me. I love Memorial Day. And... You know, yes, Memorial Day has a deeper meaning. If we're just going strictly by the superficial fun factors of it, I absolutely love Memorial Day because of, you know, kickoff to summer, unofficial kickoff to summer, beers, barbecue, and baseball. Like, first, that's when the weather's going to start getting good. So, like, I love Memorial Day. I love July 4th for very similar reasons, right? We're already in summer, but beers, barbecue, and baseball will always be fun to me. So, uh, Christmas 1, Memorial Day in July 4th, 2-3. I'd probably put Thanksgiving at four or so. I I certainly don't dislike it, but see, I like Thanksgiving because I like watching football, right? Like that, the having three football games without having to work, that is the fun part to me. I I can do without the, the glut of food, really. Like I like turkey. I like the Thanksgiving food, but I don't need like, like I don't eat any more on Thanksgiving than I do on a normal day. I don't think. I don't believe you. That's true. Really? It's true. Really? I'll eat pie, which like, because it's there. I don't eat pie on a random Tuesday, but like, pie is there, I'll eat it. But I'm not going back for like 15 courses. Like, I'm gonna eat my lunch, I'm going to pick at the apps that are on the table, finger foods, I'm gonna drink some beer, I'm gonna watch football, and I'm gonna be about my day. Like, I enjoy the family aspect of it, I used to enjoy the neighborhood football game, so Thanksgiving to me, not as, uh, not as high as July 4th or Memorial Day. Um, Text says, everything going forward with the Pats is dependent on Belichick. History might repeat itself if he's entrusted to develop another first-round pick. That's very, very true, right? Like, you have to figure out what's happening with Belichick. doesn't mean you can't just draft a quarterback and try it again with Belichick, but he's going to have to handle this guy differently than he handled Mac because he hasn't handled Mac very well as far as I'm concerned. Um, UVM women's basketball. Oh, Texas, says, Christmas 1, Easter 2, July 3rd. Uh, July 4th, 3, Memorial Day 4, Thanksgiving 5, New Year's Eve 6. Yeah, I could put New Year's Eve ahead of Thanksgiving. If it's a fun, a holiday designed to be fun, then I, I think it's ahead of Thanksgiving. You know, I think it's ahead of Thanksgiving. Um, all right, UVM women's basketball, great win today, right? we got a minute left before we got to get out of here. want to tell you the Cats beat Quinnipiac on the road in Connecticut, 58-53. to UVM won yet again three of the four quarters in this game. They're now 2-1 and one on the season. They're going to come back for a uh, D1, D2 showdown with St. Rose coming up on Sunday, and then they're going to go on to their holiday tournament, which is going to be very, very tough. But Emma Utterback played 39 minutes in this one, 39 out of 40. She had 22 points. She led the way. Anna Olson had 14. Delaney Richardson had 13. Three players in double figures for the Cats. Uh, they had 16 rebounds, or excuse me, 16 assists, so more assists than turnovers. Great job by Bella Vito, by the way. She had eight points 
uh, or uh, two points rather, but eight rebounds. So enjoyed watching her play as well. Always hard to kind of watch and take notes mentally while we're doing the show and while we're doing the news, but that is what we tried to do. So Catamounts win by five. We'll have Emma Utterback coming up again on the show on uh, on Tuesday night. So we'll do that in our pre-Thanksgiving week here. So next week, because next week's a short week for us, Andy. We're going to have you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then that's it. So the show's going to be off Thursday for the holiday and going to be off Friday because of Norwich hockey. So we got a lot to get into in just three days next week. But we will have the usual suspects. Emma will join us on Tuesday. We'll have TC coming up. Uh, I'm, Robert Lee is the ESPN broadcaster for this Myrtle Beach Invitational on the men's side. I know Robert a little bit. I'm going to try to get him on the show on Monday to talk a little UVM hoops, see how they do on Sunday night in the Myrtle Beach uh, Invitational final. Norwich Hockey is coming up next. We're five minutes away from the pregame show. Craig Durham is on the call for this one. The cadets are down in Saratoga. Take it on Skidmore. The Thoroughbreds, Norwich is on a two-game win streak. They're three and two on the season. Cadets looking for another big weekend tonight against uh, Skidmore, tomorrow against Castleton. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy Patriots-less football. We'll see you on Monday, everybody.